Okay, I'm going to show you a video to illustrate my point this morning. I know, I know the Pharisees out there and the Theobros will not be happy. Oh, well. I've only shown uh, a video three or four times in the 12 years that I've been here, so I hope you'll understand. I could be one of those pastors who shows a video every single week because they exist. Or those kind of pastors who have a guy uh, riding a unicycle and juggling toothbrushes to show his point. I don't know. They're out there. There are pastors who do stuff like that. Preaching the word is not enough for them, so they have to have some sort of gimmick. You can find them out there. Some pastors cannot preach without something extra. I'm not one of those guys. But I will be today. I've shown you this video once before about six years ago, but let me, let me set up the scene for you, okay? It's the closing throne room scene in Star Wars. Maybe you've never seen Star Wars, so just so you know, there will be spoilers, okay? You've had 46 years to watch it, okay? So spoilers incoming. If you haven't seen Star Wars, let me briefly explain it so you know what is happening in this scene. First thing you need to know is that this happens a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. And in this galaxy, there is this evil empire that is in control of the galaxy and the universe. So think big government. And this empire has built a space station called the Death Star. And it has the ability to blow up planets. Yes, planets. It can blow up planets. But there's this little underground rebel group of people who are tired of the oppressive empire. They're tired of big government, and they want to take it down. So they steal the plans to the Death Star, and they discover that it has a weakness that it can actually be blown up. So this ragtag group of rebels does just that. A young man named Luke Skywalker flies his X-Wing fighter and blows up the Death Star with the help of his friends Han Solo and Chewbacca. And then there's a ceremony where these men, Luke and Han, are awarded medals for their bravery. Chewbacca does not get one. That's a whole other sermon. There are all kinds of theories out there. Did he get one on his home planet? He got one in the comic books. Did he get one in episode nine? Or was that Han's medal? You Star Wars people can chat. That's the scene that we're about to watch. Luke, Skywalker, Han Solo, and this very hairy creature whose name is Chewbacca. But in this clip of the movie, the music has been taken out. There's no score. They've removed the music of composer John Williams, who his work is part of the movie. And so it's all quiet, and it changes the entire scene when you take all of the music out. So enjoy.
Okay, you need to know this if you haven't seen Star Wars. That is not the sound that Chewbacca makes. It is a much more refined growl. But do you see the difference it makes when you remove the musical score? It changes everything. It's quiet. There's sniffling, chuckling, breathing, coughing. R2-D2 and his little metal legs are chink, 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 chink. Now, why do I show you this video? Here's why. Because when Jesus ascended to heaven after his resurrection, when he arrived in heaven, it was not quiet like this video. Jesus entered heaven as the risen king, and he was received with jubilation and joy and with shouting and music and dancing. So kind of picture it like, you know, one second left on the clock, and the team makes the three-point basket at the buzzer and wins the game. Or think of the Hail Mary pass at the end of the Super Bowl, and someone catches it in the end zone, and their team wins the Super Bowl. That's the kind of elation and joy that was happening in heaven when Jesus ascended through the clouds and showed up. It was not a calm, reserved moment when Jesus ascended and entered the Holy of Holies in heaven. It was a party hooping and hollering by angels and all those weird creatures that fly around God's throne that look like they could actually come from Star Wars. There was a big-time celebration when King Jesus ascended and took his place at God's right hand. And that's what we'll see today. So turn in your Bibles to Psalm 47. Uh, I just realized it's hard to follow that video. (laughs) We're just going to focus briefly on verse 5. We're going to read the whole psalm, though. But as you're turning to Psalm 47, here's our big idea today. And it comes straight from Psalm 47. Sing praises, sing praises, sing praises, sing praises, sing praises. Whatever is happening in your life, sing praises. Now, just so you know, this is not natural to me. What comes natural to me is to mope and complain and feel sorry for myself and get angry and get bitter and get cynical. Should I go on? That's how I typically respond to things in my life. I don't always sing praises. Whatever is happening in your life, you can sing praises. We didn't plan the songs this morning. That was the spirit working. All these songs about singing to the name of Jesus, bowing at his name, singing praise. That was the Holy Spirit knitting this whole service together. I just, as we were singing, I was like, this is remarkable. That's what my sermon's about. Whatever is happening in your life, sing praises. Why? Because our king has ascended and he is reigning over all his creation right now. Therefore, we should sing praises to our king because this is what is happening in heaven right now. Angels and all those weird creatures in Isaiah chapter 6 that have six wings and eyes all over their bodies and wings. And all the saints who have gone before us, who have been redeemed, like Abraham and Moses and David and Peter and Paul. What are they doing right now? They're singing praises. Singing praises to the king who sits enthroned over all creation. And that's exactly what the sons of Korah of Psalm 47 fame will encourage us to do today. So Psalm 47 Look at verse 1 and hear the word of the Lord. Clap your hands, all peoples. Shout to God with loud songs of joy. 
For Yahweh, the Most High, is to be feared, a great king over all the earth. He subdued peoples under us and nations under our feet. He chose our heritage for us, the pride of Jacob, whom he loves. God has gone up with a shout, Yahweh with the sound of a trumpet. Sing praises to God, sing praises. Sing praises to our king, sing praises. For God is the king of all the earth. Sing praises with a psalm. God reigns over the nations. God sits on his holy throne. The princes of the peoples gather as the people of the God of Abraham. For the shields of the earth belong to God. He is highly exalted. Now, doesn't that fire you up? If a psalm could be a cup of coffee, Psalm 47 would be it. Psalm 47 is like four shots of espresso for your soul. It's just dripping with the sovereignty, the providence of God. I imagine Psalm 47 was one of those songs that Israel sang, and it just stood the test of time. This is one of those give you goosebumps, recalibrate your heart kind of psalms. As I said, this is not going to be a full, full-blown exposition of Psalm 47. I want to hover over verses 5 through 7. And what we see in verse 5 is that this is an ascension psalm. The same Hebrew word that we saw two weeks ago that was used in Leviticus 1 of the burnt offering or the ascension offering, the go up offering, it's the same word that's used here. We don't know the exact context of this psalm, but scholars suggest that this psalm is speaking about the Ark of the Covenant as it was being carried up to Jerusalem. Or it could be that Yahweh came down and helped Israel in battle and his going up is accompanied with shouts of victory. Bottom line, this is a psalm, a song that celebrates the kingship of Yahweh over all the earth, and that includes California. This is a psalm celebrating the fact that nobody can beat and nobody can beat up our God. But when you fast forward to the New Testament, you find the phrase, God has gone up with a shout in verse 5, takes on new significance in light of Jesus. It finds its fulfillment in Jesus because in the incarnation, God came down in the person of Jesus and he delivered us and defeated his enemies and then he returned, he ascended, and he went up to heaven. So in light of Jesus, Psalm 47 ultimately becomes a psalm describing the ascension of Jesus into heaven. He went up in a cloud, appeared in heaven, victorious over sin Death, the grave, and Satan. He appeared having accomplished all that God the Father had sent him to do. Jesus ascended into heaven to inherit a kingdom. And the scepter of his kingdom has been placed in Jesus' hand. And he has been magnificently ruling amid his enemies throughout these ages. His kingdom is extending every single day. Here's what Abraham Kuyper Reformed Dutch pastor, theologian, said. He said, there above, he is the laureled conqueror, the king of glory, who has a crown of finest gold pressed on his head, the mighty ruler who fills all the heavens with his glory. And not only that, outwardly, externally, that glory of Jesus' kingdom is not only up there above, but it also descends down to this earth. And one day, at the appropriate moment, 
The illustrious day will dawn when all rulers on earth will experience the power and force of this king of glory in a visible external way on earth. Leave them to their mockery. Let them laughingly declare that they refuse to worry about the Lord and his anointed. He who sits on the throne knows that the Lord has anointed his king over Zion and that one day all those pagans will become his inheritance. Jesus is reigning as king now. Even though this world sometimes, a lot of times, doesn't look like it. Sometimes it doesn't look like Jesus is ruling and reigning, does it? So what do we do when we are mocked by others for our beliefs? We let them mock us. What do we do when they laugh at us? We let them laugh at us because we know how it all ends. Every knee will bow to King Jesus. There is no kneecap that will be exempt from bowing before Jesus. Every kneecap will bow before our King. And so the world can mock us. They can laugh. And what we do is we call them to trust in our king. We share the gospel, call them to repentance. We tell them that the king is offering amnesty to any who would believe, any who would bend their knee. And so understand this, Psalm 47 is telling us that we must read the world with a Christ as king lens or Christ as king glasses. These are the glasses that we need to be wearing when we look at everything in our world is that Jesus is king. I see everything through Jesus is king. We must read the newspaper. We must watch the news. We must scroll through Instagram endlessly with Christ as king lens. That's how we must see the world. Or if we don't do that, guess what? We'll go crazy, right? Because you go crazy when you think about all the things that's happening in California. When you think about everything happening in our state, and you divorce that from Jesus as king, what happens? You get angry, you get cynical, you get bitter, you start to go crazy. If you don't constantly remind yourself that Jesus is reigning right now as the king of the universe and his kingdom is extending in this world, then you'll go crazy. If Psalm 47 doesn't get into your bloodstream, you'll lose your marbles. So we must learn to read the world And read the Bible with a Christ as king lens. Christ as king glasses. We must go to work with a Christ as king lens. That's one of the practical and forgotten aspects of the ascension of Jesus. Is that he is king and all is going according to his plan. Listen, nobody is messing up Jesus' to-do list. His to-do list, he does. Nobody can mess with it. This world is governed by a very meticulous providence. Jesus is reigning in all the details. The devil's not in the details. Jesus is in the details. And Jesus is in the details of your life. Whatever's happening in your world right now, Jesus is in the details because he's king. Our king reigns, and no matter what happens in this world, he is in control, and nothing slips past him. So whatever is happening in your life, you need to learn to begin to see it through a Christ-as-king lens. See your problems and trials and circumstances and suffering through a Christ-as-king lens. And I'm preaching to my own heart this morning. 
He reigns over all. He has the power to heal and change and redeem and restore in his time and in his way if he wills. So Jesus is your prophet. He is your priest and he is your king. That's the heartbeat of the ascension. Jesus is an all-encompassing savior. He is your prophet because he guides you with his word. He is your high priest because he forgives your sin. And he prays and he intercedes for you. And he is your king. He is providentially directing your every step and will protect you along the way. As the Westminster Shorter Catechism notes, how doth Christ execute the office of a king? Christ executeth the office of a king in subduing us to himself, in ruling and defending us, and in restraining and conquering all his and our enemies. Basically, Psalm 47. In the ascension, Jesus subdues us to himself. He rules over us. He defends us. And he restrains and conquers his and our enemies. Now, think about this. When Jesus ascended and appeared in heaven, when the resurrected king showed up to be crowned, coronated, do you think it was quiet? Do you think everybody was reserved? Do you think it was all prim and proper? Like, do you happen to have any gray poupon? Do you think it was prim and proper when Jesus ascended into heaven? Do you think heaven, do you think heaven is too formal for a party? Do you think heaven is too uptight for some angels to get rowdy? I guarantee you that heaven got a little rowdy when Jesus ascended. There was a party when the king showed up. Steve Brown said the Christian faith says that the sovereign creator, ruler, and sustainer of all that is loves his creatures with such passion that he can't have a party if they aren't there. Isn't that wonderful? God can't have a party a celebration if we aren't there, not because we're anything special, but because he has decided to redeem us. That's why verse 4 says, he chose our heritage for us, the pride of Jacob, whom he loves. He loves us. He chose us. And he can't have a party unless all his redeemed are there to enjoy it. That's what heaven is going to be. It's going to be one big party, one big celebration. When I grew up, I thought we wore white robes and there was like a fog machine, you know, and we just kind of stood in a cloud and all we did was sing all day. That's what I thought heaven was. You just stand there and sing. It's going to be a party, a celebration, a reunion, the joy of, of a wedding, the thrill and the excitement of a, a three-point basket at the buzzer to win the championship it's all of those things so how do you respond to such good news like this that god loves you and forgives you and says i want you to come to the party to celebrate my son you sing praises sing praises sing praises sing praises sing praises and when you sing praises to your king you'll find that it has a way of lifting all your burdens and concerns When you sing praises, you don't necessarily understand your burdens. You don't necessarily understand your concerns more. And you won't necessarily get all your questions answered. But your heart will get recalibrated. 
Singing praises won't explain in detail the providence of God in your life. Why is this happening? Why is that happening? Why did this person do that? Why is the world doing this? Why is my government doing that? Singing praises won't answer all of those questions. But it just might keep you from going crazy. Ralph Davis says, Because the universe is held in a nail-scarred hand, I am kept from going crazy. And that seems to call for worship. Something about knowing that King Jesus holds the universe in his nail-scarred hand that draws worship out of your heart, which in turn just might keep you from going crazy when your whole world has gone crazy. And let's admit, our world has gone crazy, hasn't it? It's crazy. If there are aliens, they're like, we're not going down there. (laughs) Those people have lost their minds. Let me ask you, has life got you down today? And sing praises. Are you suffering? Sing praises. Because Christian, your king lived the life that you could never live. And he died the death that you deserve because of your sin. And he has risen from the dead, defeated death and Satan. And he has ascended to the right hand of his father. And he has been coronated as king of the universe. And this is your Lord, Christian. This is the king who works all things together for your good. Sing praises because that's the soundtrack of heaven this morning. What's heaven like right now? What's happening in heaven right now? Are people sitting around like, how long is this going to go on? Like, can we start this process? You won, Jesus. Let's just start it. What's going on? There's a party right now. There's a celebration. Let me ask you, do you think heaven has gotten over the victory of Jesus? Do you think there's an angel or some redeemed person from the Old or New Testament who's up there and is like, oh, I'm kind of tired of hearing about this Jesus guy. Can we sing about something else? Do you think heaven has gotten over the victory of Jesus? They haven't slowed down one bit. There's a party in heaven right now. High fives, dancing, clapping, shouting, singing. Why? Because King Jesus ascended and took his rightful place at the right hand of his father where he reigns with all authority and power. And that's why we should high-five one another. We should high-five one another at church. That should be a part of our worship. And dance and clap and shout and sing. Because our King reigns. Heaven hasn't stopped one moment. One last quote from Ebenezer Erskine, quoting all the dead theologians today. He said this about how rowdy heaven got when Jesus ascended and how rowdy heaven still is to this day. He said, oh, sirs, we generally think little of Christ's ascension. And indeed, it made little noise here below, but it made a great noise in the other world and will make heaven to ring with shouts of praise through an endless eternity. When Christ ascended, After his finishing our redemption, he was received into heaven with the universal applause and admiration of the triumphant company. Oh, sirs, when the Son of God returned to heaven, wearing the nature of man, carrying the scars of the wounds he got upon the field of battle, when he bruised the head of the serpent, how did every one of the heavenly company study to outdo another in warbling forth his praises? 
How did the arches of heaven echo and resound while the triumphant conqueror resumed his throne, crying, worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and dominion and honor and glory and blessing. Salvation to our God which sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb forever and ever. Let us join in the solemnity of his exaltation for it is not yet ended. They that shouted when he first went up to heaven from Mount Olivet are shouting for joy to this day. For over 2,000 years, they haven't stopped shouting for joy. So let's do what they do. Let's try to outdo one another in warbling forth his praises. Let's try to outdo one another. Heaven has been shouting and partying for 2,000 plus years. Let's join them. We have reason to sing. Let's sing praises, sing praises, sing praises, sing praises, sing praises. We're going to pray. And then let's sing, okay? Jesus, thank you for your victory over sin, death, the grave, the devil. We praise you. You alone are worthy of praise, Lord. You alone deserve all glory and honor, power, might, dominion, blessing. You are the great king over all the earth and you have stooped down to love people like us and to redeem us. And we're grateful and we're overwhelmed that you would save sinners. Thank you for all that you've done. Make us a church that sings your praises. Lord, when it's hard to, when we're suffering, help us to sing your praises, Lord. Even through the pain, to be able to sing that you are worthy no matter what we're going through, that you are still worthy. As we sung earlier, whatever season we're in, we can still sing because you are worthy. We just want to thank you this morning for all that you've done in your church here at Grace over the last year, Lord, all the many blessings. I thank you for the people that have served in different ministries, loved on our kids and students and uh, college. Lord, thank you for our Sunday school teachers, those who serve in Awana, who make coffee. Lord, we just thank you that your spirit is alive here and working through this church body. Thank you for the family feel, Lord. Thank you for all that you're doing in your church. May you alone get the glory. We know we would mess it up if it was riding on us, Lord. We would drive this thing into the ditch and crash. It's your spirit who's united our hearts, and we ask you to keep doing that. Help us to reach our community, our city, so more people will come and sing your praises. We just give you thanks today for all that you're doing in our church. In your name, amen.